Well, good morning. It is such an honor to be here. And this is actually my third time uh, with the privilege to speak at Connect. Years ago, my wife and I were going through an adoption process for a little boy from China. And Dave found out about us and invited us to come preach and Connect Church uh, blessed our adoption fund, and you were part of the many people around the country who helped us adopt this little boy from China, and so I'm always so grateful. I'm actually, I hate to brag about it, but I'm actually one of your top fans on Facebook as well. So I have a Connect badge, so it's, you know... I don't want to brag too much, but, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty important. Well, hey, uh, let me ask you a question as we just kind of jump right in. Uh, have you ever searched for peace? Have you ever searched for peace? Like truly, uh, I mean, truly at the core of it, have you ever searched for peace? Uh, during my elementary school years, I searched for peace. Let me show you a picture of me in the fifth grade. And so you will see, like... I definitely search for peace. Like, look at, look at this guy, right? Like, I mean, the red belt. I mean, he had a style to him, but he was, he was, he was definitely struggling. He was definitely looking for peace. Uh, then in the eighth grade year, I kept that search up, and I thought I'd find peace uh, in the arms of a girlfriend. And this is a picture of me in the eighth grade with Tina. Tina is in the center there. I've got the little tie on with the, the jean jacket about seven feet shorter than Tina. It was my lot in life. But I can remember being at youth group in the eighth grade and the youth pastor said, hey everybody, we are going to go to the roller rink on Friday night. And I thought to myself, uh-uh, no way. I don't like danger. You know, I, I don't put wheels on my feet. Not gonna happen. I don't eat, I don't eat chili. Uh, I don't eat peeps. And I don't put wheels on my feet. It's just not gonna happen. But I looked across the way in the youth room and Tina was sitting on a couch with like six of her friends. And ladies back in the day, those, some of you remember, some of you won't, but uh, the ladies back in the day, they put their hair straight up in the air. And so they put their bangs straight up and every single girl was like seven foot two. It was amazing. They'd spray all this hairspray. And so when the girls were like, we're gonna go to the roller rink and they were giggling, all their hair just sort of swayed back and forth. And so it was just this, this just beautiful moment. So I said to myself, hey, if Tina's gonna go, I'm gonna go. I got to the church on Friday night, hopped in the van. I was in the back seat with a bunch of guys. She's in the front seat with a bunch of girls. I decide to text her. I got a whole bur burst of courageousness and I texted her, which in uh, those days, a text message was a piece of paper and a pen. And so I, I wrote, dear Tina, would you be my girlfriend? Why or no, question mark. Then I put P.S., please say yes. If you say no, you'll break my heart. I'll never be able to recover. Please, 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 please say yes. I'd asked my parents. My dad's like, hey, don't get your hopes up. So I folded it up. I was sweating like crazy because it was an old van. I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm wearing a cool shirt like New Kids on the Block. And uh, I was sweating so much that when I leaned up from the seat, you could actually see my whole outline in sweat. And it said, oh, 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 the right stuff in sweat. Horrible. <laughs> But I passed that note up two rows and I thought, oh my goodness, like one of these rows of guys is gonna get this note and make fun of me, it's gonna be over. But it made it all the way up to the row of girls with Tina. She opened the note, all the girls were like, Whoom, and now all their hair was like moving back and forth and they were giggling <clears throat> and she wrote something, she passed it back. For the very first time in my life, I was in a committed relationship. She said yes, it was amazing. I was like, I wanna do this thing right. You know, I'm gonna hold open doors. I'm gonna buy her favorite candy, Swedish Fish, but I couldn't because she had braces on. I didn't wanna take her braces off. That'd have been bad, that'd been a rough start. So we pull up to the roller rink. She goes off with her friends, I go with my friends. We're like 10 minutes into the relationship. We haven't even said a word to each other yet. 
It's beautiful. But I'm walking around with a newfound confidence, right? Like I'm, like I'm kind of the man here. And so the moment happened that I had been waiting for at the 11-minute mark in our relationship. If you've ever been to a roller rink, there's a moment where all the lights go dark and the disco ball starts to swirl and the, the DJ says, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for couple skate. Now, this was gonna be about the fourth time in my life I was about to hold a girl's hand. Now, the other three were women, my mother, my grandma, and there was this older lady down the street who would pay me to hold my hand. Really weird. It was stranger danger. I probably should have called the authorities, but we'd sit on her porch. Her hand kind of felt like Crisco, and we'd watch this girls in her yard, and she'd give me quarters, and I went and bought Nalan later, so all was good. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> Some of you are just now, like, seeing that whole story play out. Things that happened in 1986 that would not happen in 2023. <laughs> but that moment happened. Tina's over there on the other side of the rink. She starts skating to me like a beautiful Disney princess. And she's like a gazelle, like a, like a, be a beautiful, I don't even know what, she's coming towards me. And I start skating towards her like a two-and-a-half-legged squirrel trying to get over to her. And our hands come together, and they don't come together like this but they come together like this. This was a big deal, this was a big deal. Partly because I was sweating so much, I would have to keep letting go of her hand and flick the sweat off my hand. And all the kids behind me would hit that pile of sweat and they would fall. So there was like 17 kids just in a row. So here I am skating with Tina, because again, she's about seven feet taller than me, and we're skating around, just this beautiful moment, and I'm looking up at her, and we get to the chorus, we get to the chorus of the song, and she looks down in my eyes, and I look up, way up into her eyes. And I can really see her eyes because her glasses were thick. I mean, glasses were thick back then. I'm not making fun of her. I wore glasses too, but I could see her retinas. I'm like, wow, biology. And she looks down at me and she's like a voice from, you know, the heavens. And she's like, Jason. And my heart is just, I mean, this is it, right? I'm gonna experience peace. This is it. And she says to me, this isn't going to work out. She lets go of my hand and she skates over to the side where my best friend Mike has been waiting for her. I turn around to skate to the side and I fall in a pile of my own sweat. <laughs> and they start to skate by me. And I guess I forgot to mention this in the first service. Um, this was the song that was playing. I kid you not, I can't even make this up. This is the exact song that was playing when Tina uh, kind of crushed my world. I'll sing it for you. Hopefully this doesn't scar you, but the song went like this. It must have been love, but it's over now. That was the song that was playing as I laid there and watched my friend and my old girlfriend, his new girlfriend, skate by me. What a moment. We search for peace in so many places. We think we're gonna find it. The reality is many of us search in the wrong places and we end up missing it. We end up not experiencing it, and especially if you're a follower of Jesus. You have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You believe who Jesus is. You believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You believe that Jesus came to die for your sins, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. He defeated your sin. He defeated the grave. You now have salvation through him when you place your faith and trust. You can now experience peace, yet so many of us aren't experiencing that kind of peace. You know why? Because worry, conflict, fear, 
fills our minds and they create this constant state of confusion and chaos. And we live in a confusing world that's filled with anxiety. And because of that, peace is not growing in our lives. Remember, peace is a fruit. It's not growing in our lives, and that's a complete opposite of what God wants for us. And in the series, we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, and so today we go through the fruit of peace. And Paul says in Galatians 5, just as a reminder, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Say peace with me. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. These three fruit... Love, joy, and peace, the first three kind of form this trilogy of sorts. And oftentimes, all throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, Old Testament to New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, as we see God work, Jesus move, Jesus heal, these three fruit are kind of working together, love, joy, and peace. Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist, wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and he calls these fruit clusters, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they kind of fall in order that way. And love, joy, and peace, I like to think of them as like the primary uh, colors of this amazing uh, portrait of Jesus. Jesus was just the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit. Just like all the colors contained in these primary colors, all the fruit are colored by this first fruit cluster. So what is peace? Like so many of us have a different definition of peace. We think peace is happiness. Peace is happiness. Peace is of and the NFL coming back on Sunday afternoons, right? Like, that's peace. Peace is school starting for mom and dads and stepmom and dads. Uh, peace is getting on our device if we're a student or, or an adult. And it's scary sometimes when your device goes off and it shows you how many minutes you've been on the last week. You're like, no, that's got to be wrong. No, 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 technology is wrong. But peace is so much more than happiness. It's so much more than tranquility. Uh, there's a Hebrew word. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew language called shalom. Uh, and it's, we kind of think of that as a greeting, uh, but it's so much more than that. Uh, pieces of wholeness and soundness and wellness and completeness. The world around us longs for peace. We have peace marches and peace demonstrations, although some of them aren't very peaceful. We have peace counselors and peace medications. But the reality is we'll never find peace apart from Jesus. Never. We'll never find peace apart from God. We'll never find peace from, apart from the Holy Spirit because that's where peace comes from. And again, in this book, The Holy Spirit by Billy Graham, he wrote this. He said, for the Christian, peace isn't, is not simply the absence of conflict or any other artificial state the world has to offer. Rather, it is a deep, abiding peace only Jesus brings to the heart. That's the peace that's available to you and I. And so where love has to do with your attitude and joy has to do with your emotions. Peace primarily has to deal with your mind. And when you allow your mind to get distracted or disturbed or filled with conflict, you miss out on the peace that God has for you. Do you have a peaceful place that you go to? It's like your place. You just, oh, you love that place. For me, uh, I lived 45 years in Michigan and Illinois, and now for three years we live in the Tampa area the Tampa area, and I live within a 50-minute drive from five Major League Baseball spring training uh, facilities. So one of my favorite places is one of these spring training games. I, I love it. I go, and after the fifth inning, nobody wants to sit in the sun anymore, so I go down and I sit right behind home plate. I mean, I've sat like an Aaron Judge is right there, all seven feet of them. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. My dream job is to be an usher at one of these stadiums where I just wipe off the seats. Welcome, it's gonna be great. 
uh, for me, the other peaceful place for me is front row at a Hootie and the Blowfish concert. Like nothing else says peace like Hootie, right? Only wanna be with you. If you don't know Hootie, Google them. Your mind is about to be blown. <laughs> Greatest rock band of all time. Maybe some of you know him by Darius Rucker, the country star. But before the country star, we had Hootie. Hootie, hold my hand. I love Hootie and the Blowfish. But seriously, I've always kind of lived by lakes because I used to live in central Michigan for 10 years. Now I live about 20 minutes from the Gulf. Uh, and 20 minutes, 20, 20 miles in Tampa, Florida is about an hour and a half driving. So I don't get there very often. But I love, I love to go and sit by the water. It's peaceful. Or for me, it's time with my family. There is nothing more than I love to do. A couple weeks ago, we were in Wisconsin. I, I spoke at a couple of summer camps for middle school and high school students, and we spent a couple of weeks together. Even my oldest kids who are graduated from college and out of the house, they decided to come because they grew up at that camp, and we just spent the, the week together. Dad would speak at chapel, and then we'd hang out and play. That's peace to me. What is it for you? What is your place where you go? I wonder what season of life you're in, uh, and, or if you could think back to a season where God just blessed you with so much peace. The peace just grew all over the place. If the fruit of the Spirit is peace, um, then peace is with God. You can experience peace with people, and it's a positive peace filled with blessing and goodness. And it's not just this absence of fighting. So often we think of peace as just there's no more conflict anymore. But it's so much more than that. Uh, Philippians 4, 7. Paul wrote this to the, Philippian, the church of Philippi. He says, and the peace of God transcends all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your heart. The, the Greek word there, the New Testament's written in this, you know, Koine Greek language. It actually means freedom from, it means freedom from trouble. But everything that makes for a man's highest good so this is the kind of peace that is available. So what gets in the way of you experiencing peace? I bet if I had a whiteboard, we could fill it, right? Worry, fear, conflict, fighting, bills, sickness, work, lack of work, too much work, not enough work, laziness, pain, struggle, depression, panic, pride. The list just goes, you know, on and on. So often though, like when... Uh, you know, one of these come on its own. I'm gonna ask Dave to help me with a, a kind of way to illustrate this. When one of these things kind of happens on its own, we can deal with it because it's just one of them. You know, it's a piece of cake. Like worry comes, and I'm like, okay, it's just one of them. It's not too bad. But the problem is sometimes there are moments where it all comes at us at once and I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know, you know. Uh, I just don't know how we can deal with it when it's all at once. Um, <laughs> and it just keeps coming. Uh, I texted one of my kids this morning and they're like, did you juggle? And I'm like, they don't wanna see, uh, you know, a guy that sort of looks like Matt Damon juggle in church. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't wanna see it, you know, so we'll go ahead and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's just say fifth grade Jason didn't have much to do, so he learned how to juggle. But isn't that so true, though? Have you experienced those moments where it's just all coming at you at once, and you're like, God, you promised peace, but where is it? It's just all over the place. Well, here's what I, I hope you walk away with today. The more you experience God, the greater the peace you'll experience. The more you experience God, the greater peace you'll experience. The more you experience God, the greater peace will grow in your life. There are a few steps that we can experience this. First step is you gotta understand 
that God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. First uh, Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. My wife and I have five kids. Whew. We should put that over our, <laughs> like as you walk into the front door, no disorder, right? God is a God of peace. The Bible teaches us that God is one God in three persons. Uh, you know the saying, right? Uh, two's, a com- two's company, three's a crowd. It's not that way with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They have worked in perfect harmony and perfect peace forever, from eternity. And they always will. All three persons of the Godhead live in perfect peace and harmony with another, and they've always done that. The Son lives in perfect harmony with the Father. Jesus said in John 5, 19, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Perfect peace. Then the Spirit lives in perfect harmony with the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So Jesus as the son of God here on earth displayed God's perfect peace in his life. He moved through life, get this, unhurried, unworried, and completely focused on the father's, on his father's plan. Wow. Can you imagine that kind of life? Unhurried, unworried, completely focused on God the father's plan for your life. Whew, that's the peace of God. That's the peace that God gives us. Psalms 29, 11 says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace, with peace. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. That's peace of God. Then there's peace with God. This is our relationship with God restored because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all created with a void in our life that can only be filled by the Spirit of God. And our sins have kept us from experiencing that peace with God. And it wasn't until our sins were canceled and paid for because of what Jesus did on the cross that we finally gained access to this kind of peace. I mean, that's a moment to celebrate. That's a moment to be excited for. Like, this is what God is doing. And Paul writes, we have now been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God comes only through the Prince of Peace from Jesus himself. So many of us, us, and I've been there, we just have a wrong worldview of God. We kind of view him as this far off entity, sort of like AI, right? We don't know what it is, but boy, it seems pretty scary and it can do everything and it writes better than I do, and it can, you know, it does it, does it all, but it's just like sort of far off thing, and it's not really, you know, a part of our personal lives. But that's not how God operates. A theistic worldview is that God created you. He created you in his image, and he made you so much more worthy than you can possibly ever imagine. Your life has so much incredible value. And he intimately wants to be in a part of it. He intimately wants to be a part of it. My wife and I, we raised our four kids and then we adopted our fifth. And Connect Church helped with our adoption. It was uh, seven years ago. Yeah, very exciting. 
It was seven years ago. Dave called me. He's like, you're going through this adoption. Why don't you come preach? And then when I left, Connect helped, helped us with that. And so now Kai has been with us for six or seven years. He is just spectacular. His life, you could, you could tell what he loves the moment you look at him because he always has Minecraft on. Always Minecraft. Minecraft shirt, Minecraft shorts, Minecraft socks, Minecraft underwear, Minecraft everything. He loves Minecraft, and he loves trains. So everywhere, we just drove from Tampa to Wisconsin. We went through Chicago. So he's on train overload. Train bridge, train, commuter train, freight train, BNSF. He knows all the trains. Kai has autism, so he gets kind of locked in on something, and he, he just, you know, he just, like, locks in on it. And there's sometimes, with my older four, like, as the dad, I was like the sun, moon, and the stars. You know, let's go play catch. Let's play soccer. Let's hang out. With Kai, I, I don't even know if he knows that I'm gone. Like, he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, you, yeah, yeah, you're the guy who can get me food, you know? Like, it's, and I, I have this interesting relationship now because I'm learning so much about my relationship with God the Father. Because there's moments in my life where I act on my own, right? And I, I can just imagine God the Father going, I just so desperately want him to ask me what I think. I just so desperately want to help him. I can't wait for him to spend time with me. And I'm experiencing that same thing with Kai, you know, it's just incredible how God does that. We need to change our worldview of God and understand that God is a God of peace. He is not trying to like be this cosmic mess up for you and go, okay, I'm gonna mess this up and mess this up. He wants you to experience peace. The second step is you gotta identify the obstacles to peace. There are three main obstacles to peace in our lives. Worry, fear, and conflict. Worry, fear, and conflict. Worry has to do with potential troubles, right? Some of us, we're good at worrying. We are good. And we worry about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. Anybody ever relate to that? We're like, oh, I can never go do that because this could happen. Oh, really? A satellite is gonna fall out of the sky and, well, it could happen. When we come up with, we, we just, we, we play the assumption game all the time. Potential problems, right? We create these problems. Fear has to do with present troubles. Maybe something has happened. You have gone through a hellish moment Life has hit you hard. Sickness has come. And so rightfully so, fear is taking over. And then conflict has to do with interpersonal problems, right? And some of those interpersonal problems we make up, right? I mean, we, I'll call my spouse sometimes. I texted them seven minutes ago and they haven't responded. What do you think it means? Are they upset at me? Are they angry? Did I say something wrong? The bubble came up and then it disappeared. Like we create all of these problems for ourselves. Like, why do we do that sometimes? And so here's what the Bible says about these obstacles. Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Anxiety and worry can weigh you down. These, this worry of potential problems, they can cause disastrous effects. Disastrous effects. It can cause stress and ulcers and nervous breakdowns. Worry is a weight that just drags us down and gets in the way of peace. Jesus actually told us in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What if for like just a day, what if for a moment, what if for a minute we took Jesus seriously in that passage of scripture? What would it do for your life? What, how would peace grow in your life? if you didn't let worry win all the time. I know in my life it would be incredible. Worries caused by the uncertainty of the future. The future is wide open to us. We don't know what's going on, so we worry about all sorts of things. But Jesus said, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about potential problems. Then fear. 
Fear comes in its own. And fear has to do with our present troubles. Things that are happening right now, worries about the future, fears in the present. David in Psalms 3, 5, and 6 says, I lay down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. That's what David had to deal with. Actual armies chasing him down to kill him. Boy, when I look at the worries in my life, I'm like, ooh, ooh. Should I really fear that the Wi-Fi went out? Mm. This is rough. I'm back to 3G. Like, what is happening? Right? But we all been there, right? Like, our world falls apart. What would happen? John, Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Here's what fear does. Fear dulls our miracle memory. I don't know if we still say that's tweetable, but that's tweetable. That's Xable. Uh, fear dulls our miracle memory because we forget about all the miracles that God has done for us. In the Old Testament, you'll see times where the children of Israelites sets up this stone that they can look at. It's called an Ebenezer stone, and it's a memorial so they can remember the, the, the times that God provided for them. Wouldn't it be something if you and I did that more and more? When uh, worry and fear start to come into our life, if we start creating a miracle list, a miracle list. Do you know a miracle list? A miracle list is this. Every day my lungs work. Every day I can see out of my eyes. Every day my wife is still with me. I mean, miracle. Like, it's a miracle after 27 years. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, like, create a miracle list. Create the, don't let Satan let you, you know, live by the, 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 the miracle list that's gone. That's what fear does. That's a fear. And then lastly, conflict is this interpersonal trouble. God not only gives peace, he calls us to peace. He, he wants us to make peace because Jesus makes peace. Matthew 5, he says this, if you're, uh, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go and reconcile with your brother. How often do you and I let conflict with each other get in the way of us experiencing peace? I, I know I have. I was trying to illustrate what this, you know, best would look like. And I think it's like when we take like a whole, like we took like five mirrors and we smashed them up and we put them in a tin box and we just shook up all the pieces and we just walked around all day shaking up all of those glass pieces in this tin box. That horrible noise that would create, isn't that like what conflict with someone else is like? That, oh, we're tense and we're, we're, we're oh, it's just horrible. But interpersonal peace is so important because God is at peace. God wants, he doesn't want that interpersonal conflict to interrupt your worship to him. And so worry, fear, and conflict are the three obstacles uh, to peace. We experienced just a, a hellish season of life five, six years ago. Our, our second born son went through a four year season of depression and anxiety and panic attacks. It started when he was about 13. And I, I didn't know what was going on. He would start having this panic attack when we'd pull up to a baseball game. And, and he'd always, I was always a little league coach. He always played baseball, but it, it, he would have a, a full-blown panic attack. And then he would start to want to skip school. And then it turned into him sleeping 15 hours a day. And then it turned into him losing 50 pounds. And then the doctor and the psychologist and the psychi psychiatrist. And then this thing and this thing and this thing. And for four years, we didn't know how to, how to help him. I mean, I'm going through the story like, 
I'm probably not giving it the weight that it deserved, but every single day it was like an elephant was on our back and my wife and I were just trying to move forward and it just squeezed the life out of us. And we just didn't know what, we didn't know what to do. We recruited a giant prayer team to pray for him. We listened to every doctor. We tried everything. Finally, we found this clinic called the Amen Clinic where uh, we finally found hope. And uh, a few months ago, why don't we show the picture I do a podcast through, uh, I have a little business called Speak With People, and my son's on the screen there. Um, we did a podcast about how do we communicate with our family members who are going through depression and anxiety. And I've never been so proud as a dad, as he spoke life into teenagers and students and adults who are dealing with depression. And sometimes we, that aren't dealing with it, we say such awful things to the people going through it because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And so he did this tremendous podcast report on his heart and he gave people such tremendous wisdom on what to say. But I've been through those seasons. I get it, I get it. When worry and conflict and fear come and at times you start to, you start to not experience God because you're, you're just leaning into all the worry and all the conflict and all the fear. And then lastly, if we're gonna experience more of God so we can experience more peace, we've gotta grow your peace. Peace is a fruit. You gotta continue to grow it. You gotta cultivate it. And so in order to do that, uh, just a couple instructions scripture gives us, you've gotta really trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Isaiah 26, three says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Notice the emphasis on the mind in this verse. Uh, Peace has to do with the spirit guarding your mind. That's why it's so important not to listen to the lies the enemy puts into your mind. That's why it's so important to fill your mind with scripture. So we trust in the Lord and then we rest in Jesus. He says in uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us beside the quiet waters. He calms our troubles' hearts. He gives you peace and rest for your soul. One other instruction, we've gotta love God's word. We've gotta love God's word. God's word is the truth that replaces those lies that the enemy puts into your head. So when my wife and I were going through that season with our family where we never knew if our son Bobby was gonna get better, Satan just filled our minds with lies every single day. Bobby's never gonna get better. He's never gonna get out of bed. He's never gonna graduate high school. He's never gonna do this. And those were lies. And the more that we filled our mind with scripture, scripture replaced those lies. Psalms 119, 165 says, great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. And then lastly, we do what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. We pray and we give thanks. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your, guard your hearts and your minds. This is the best trade in the world, right? We give God our worries, and he gives us peace. We give God our troubles, and he gives us peace. We give God our conflict, and he gives us peace. Who doesn't want that trade? That's an amazing moment. Before I, I leave you, I thought I'd read you a story. And I think this story just sums up so perfectly how we can live this life of peace, how peace can grow, how we can experience more of God and how we can experience more of peace. Uh, and so a story written about in the 1950s, 60s, 
and I think it's just tremendous. I'll read it to you. The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place to be. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile, helpless, and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and smells of sickness and stale urine. My friend went there once or twice a week for four years. He never wanted to go there, and he always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place one ever gets used to. On this particular day, he was walking in a hallway he had not visited before, looking in vain for a few people who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. The worst, uh, this hallway seemed to contain the worst cases strapped on carts or into wheelchairs. They looked completely helpless. As he neared the end of the hallway, he saw an elderly woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told him she was blind, and the large hearing aid over one ear told him she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored running sore covering one part of her cheek. It had pushed her nose to one side, drooped one eye, and distorted her jaw, so what that should have been the corner of her mouth was now the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. He was later told when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking if they could stand her sight, they could stand anything in the building. He also learned this woman was 89 years old, had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. He didn't know why he spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most people in the hallway. He put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you, happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke, and much to his surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but I, can I give it to someone else? I can't see you, no, I'm blind. Of course, he said, and he pushed her chair back down the hall to a place where he thought he could find some alert patients. He found one and stopped the chair, and Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. At that moment, it began to dawn on him that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, he wheeled her back to the, her room and learned more about her and her story. She grew up on a small farm she managed with her only mother until she died. She ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness sickness sent her to the state convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she grew weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays, when he usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and this man became friends over the next few weeks, and he went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her words were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days he'd read to her from the Bible, and often when he'd pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory word for word. On other days, he would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words to those old hymns, for Mabel, these were not simply exercises in memory. She would often stop mid-hymn to make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her old situation. He never heard her speak of pain or loneliness, except for the stress she placed on certain lines and certain hymns. It was not many weeks before he turned from a sense of being helpful to a sense of wonder, and he would go to her with a pen and paper and write down the things she would say. He only had a few of those memories now. He wished he had the foresight to collect a book full of them. What follows is one of those stories. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 different directions at once with all the things I had to think about. Then it occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's night or day. So I went to her and I asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. 
I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty of me thinking about Jesus for even five minutes, and I said, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, and this is what she said. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been so awfully good to me. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. Then she began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad to him, I go. No other can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. Jesus is all the world to me. Each of us go through different obstacles to peace. We each have different moments of life that are gonna cause pain and worry and conflict. But through it all, every step of the way, Jesus can grow your peace. You can experience peace in the midst of sickness and sadness and hopelessness and bitterness and anger. You can, you just have to give your life to Jesus and focus on him. So that's my prayer for you this morning. We're gonna have a prayer team down front. Don't miss this opportunity. If the Spirit's been working in you and you want someone to pray for you, or if there's just something that you're ready to give up one of these obstacles and you want someone to pray for you, uh, then come down after, after we're done with the service and get, and get prayer. But let me, let me pray for you and we'll ask for God's blessing. God, we just thank you for this time together. God, we just come before you right now and, and we know that there's just so much happening in life all the time. God, there are, it's worry and there's fear and there's conflict. But God, right now, we know that you're bigger than it all. And so we ask in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that we would trust you, that we would rest in you, that we would love your word, that we would pray and give thanks, and that we would experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we just thank you for this gathering, that we can be encouraged this morning, that we can worship, that we can be prayed for. God, what an honor. God, help us to experience peace. In Jesus' name, amen.